Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I want to share with you guys one of my all-time favorite companies. I'm passionate about this company. I've been using them for over three years, and they make some of the cleanest and most affordable personal care products for the entire family, personal care and wellness products. So they have herbal remedies and tinctures. They have personal care products. My husband and myself use their deodorant on a daily basis. And most recently, they've launched a home care cleaning line, which we now have transitioned pretty much all of our cleaning products over to their their cleaning products. So we use their cleaning spray and their dishwasher detergent and their laundry detergent and their dishwashing soap. And we have been so impressed with not only the quality and simplicity of their products, but also the affordability and small company, family-owned company experience that we get when we shop with them. So the company is Earthly and they are just phenomenal. You can go shop at earthly.com and earthly is spelled E-A-R-T-H-L-E-Y.com slash R-E-F slash T Kulik. Alternatively, you can thank me for your checkout. Um, Thank you. Thank me for your order in the checkout section. And you can use the code Taylor10 to save 10% off your first order. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I am so excited to share this episode with you guys. This has probably been one of my very favorite episodes to record. Um, And today I have Dr. Philip Mamalakis joining us. He is the author of Parenting Towards the Kingdom. He wrote this parenting book from an Orthodox Christian perspective, and it is my absolute favorite parenting book. It has changed my parenting perspective in so many ways. And before we get started, I do just want to say he is talking from an Orthodox perspective. I know many of you guys are not Orthodox, but it applies to Christians as well, just any Christian. Um, and so I hope that you will you will listen because I think it can be helpful to anybody regardless of whether you are Orthodox or not. So Dr. Philip Mamalakis with his wife, Georgia, have seven children and one new, one new grandchild and live in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Mamalakis is the assistant professor of pastoral care at Holy Cross Greek Orthodox School of Theology, where he teaches classes on pastoral care, marriage and family, grief, death and dying, mental health, and pastoral counseling. He has a Master of Divinity from Holy Cross Greek Orthodox School of Theology and a PhD from Purdue University in Child Development and Family Studies, specializing in marriage and family therapy. Together with Father Charles Joannides, Dr. Mamalakis has just completed the second edition of The Journey of Marriage, a resource for couples preparing for marriage in the Orthodox Church, and is the author of Parenting Toward the Kingdom, Ancient Faith Publishing's best-selling Orthodox parenting book. In addition to his teaching and writing, he is the founding vice chair of the Assembly of Canon- Canon- 
canonical bishops of America Mental Health Task Force and the former president of OCAMPR, the Orthodox Christian Association of Medicine, Psychology, and Religion. He enjoys offering seminars and retreats throughout the United States and internationally on intimacy, relationships, marriage, parenting, and family life, as well as orthodoxy and psychology. Wow. His bio is just extensive. So super excited to get into this podcast episode. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on it too. So please, after you listen, share with me, DM me, send me an email. I want to hear what you think. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hi, Philip. Thank you so much for joining us. I would love it if you could just start by sharing with the audience who you are, what you do, and how you got started with all that you do. Great. Uh, Thanks for having me today. I'm going to try and be brief, but it's kind of a long story. Um, I teach at Holy Cross Greek Orthodox School of Theology, uh, pastoral care. I grew up in the Orthodox Church, and I grew up with my parents dragging us to church every Sunday, and I'm one of 12 children. So I was always just as interested about what goes on in the car ride going to church and the car ride after church than what happens in liturgy. So I grew up in the church, was raised in the church, and then went off to college, and suddenly I had to have an answer for my faith. And I realized I didn't really understand in my head, I couldn't really articulate what it was I believed. But I knew, I recognized that I could tell what was true and tell what was crazy. And so that kind of started me on a journey of essentially discovering my faith. Um, And in the process, I, I moved to Chicago and helped out an Antiochian Orthodox priest to start a mission parish. Because here was a, a, a convert to Orthodoxy, a priest who really could catechize me, could really teach me about Orthodoxy. Um, and while I was learning in my head what I was formed in in my heart, I would help him out. So I helped out with the youth ministry and I recognized that the struggles that the teens were having were coming right out of their parents and right out of the, the home and the decisions the parents were making. And no matter what we did with the teens, they didn't really have much of a voice in the home. So I thought, I want to work with the church of the home because I, I knew a lot of faithful families, faithful parents. But then as I started to learn, I said, you know, actually, uh, there's, there are different ways to parent and the way choices parents make you know, are so formative that in many ways, the choices that parents make will set our kids up on a trajectory for life. Um, so I, I was really intrigued about that and I was deepening my faith and was recognizing this fullness of orthodoxy that was just transformative in my life um, that I decided to go to seminary and then go on for a PhD in marriage and family therapy because I wanted to work uh, with marriage and with family life and in the process, I ended up working with parenting. After I finished my degree, I moved to a place called Missoula, Montana and worked for a parent organization, a parent education. So I learned child development in graduate school. And as I'm learning child development, I was like, this is really important stuff that essentially learning how children think and how children learn. And so as a parent, as an Orthodox, I think, well, if you're gonna respect your children, you probably should respect how they think and how they learn. Because you we wanna raise up kids who are respectful. So really the most effective way to raise up children who are respectful is to be respectful toward the children. And that means respecting how they think, respecting how they learn. So as I'm discovering this, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is really about 
the way God relates to us. This is really about the spiritual life. And, and I'm just discovering this beautiful interplay between our own healing as parents and what does it mean to respect a child. And that's why I really, <clears throat> meanwhile, my wife and I are having children and accumulating children. And I'm looking at and learning just the beautiful things that happen in the home. And But when I look around me in the world, I see a lot of parenting books that are secular parented books and they all have different ideas and as I'm reading it, I was like this is kind of this has a piece of what's right but then there's other stuff that's missing and so you suddenly as a parent you have to figure out what is true and what is not and you quickly see parenting books contradicting each other and and none of them really relate to what we believe as orthodox so that that was my journey I ended up getting a call to come back to seminary where I've been teaching but I really had it in my heart to to bring this world of child development into contact with this role of faith. Because I would see faithful families who would say things like, obedience is important. Well, obedience to God, that is pretty important. But then I'd watch how they would parent, and it wouldn't be really respectful about how kids learn and how, how they think. And the parents would be convinced, obedience is important. And I was like, well, that's true, but actually, the way you teach obedience, if it's not respectful to how children learn and how children think, you're actually not going to teach them obedience. You're going to teach them disrespect and they're going to push away from you. And it was kind of sad for me because these are faithful families really connected to the church, but the church really didn't have ways of guiding parents. Now, we, I grew up hearing, you know, pray for your children, take them to church, have icons in your home. These are all good things. You know, be a saint. That's all good. But there was nothing about, what do you do when siblings are fighting? Or what about dinner and the chaos of dinner? And what about how overwhelmed I am as a parent? And so I'd see this world of the real life of parents. And some of the child development experts, they can talk about these theories, but they've never sat around a table with three kids under six and lost their minds. You know, a lot of theories kind of go out the window. And then, we bring our families to church and you know there's a lot of conflict and tension getting ready for church in the morning with a bunch of toddlers it's overwhelming it can be overwhelming so that we feel like we just arrive at church usually later than we want to be and we almost it's easy to feel a lot of shame and embarrassment like if anyone knew what kind of morning we had and, you know so the church the church seemed to be a place where we pretended we had our act together and i thought well that's kind of a tragedy because we really need the Holy Spirit Sunday morning before church, where we're growing, where we're learning, where we're forgiving. So I'm seeing all these worlds come together beautifully, and I'm like, no one has ever kind of told this story, written about how obedience is important, but the goal is not to get your kids to be obedient. The goal is to teach the joy of obedience, and that kids are not supposed to be obedient. They're supposed to learn obedience. And the same thing with repentance and confession, the most beautiful thing. How do you teach repentance as we understand it in the Orthodox Church? As something joyful, something freeing, something about more about God's love than about our sin. And so I said there, I've never heard a parenting book that talked about the joy of obedience and the joy of repentance and how that's critical. So I, you know, I said I have to do it and it, it fit kind of within my gifts and it took a little while, but the fun part is I could... I'll be talking about something in the book and I just turn around and look at what was happening in my family and just write down the types of normal family dialogue and, and, and really 
reflect on how God is working in real family life. We don't need to be a spiritual family. There's no such thing as acting like a Christian family. As Orthodox, we need to recognize God's presence and power within the, within the Cheerios that just got knocked over the table. Mm-hmm. You know, we hear the phrase all the time that God knows how many hairs on your head are counted, and that's beautiful, and not a sparrow falls from the sky outside the will of God. Well, I like to say, God knows how many Cheerios actually fell on the floor. He has those Cheerios numbered, even the three that kind of went under the refrigerator that you're not going to find <laughs> for six months. Just to communicate this, this understanding of the sacredness of what's happening in the home, even when it's not pretty. The sacredness, even when it's really hard. The sacredness, even when I fail as a parent or my kids aren't behaving the way they should, so that we can kind of strip ourselves away from imagining the Christian home as like a Norman Rockwell painting and like the the Orthodox family is the one that all sits quietly at the table, waits their turn and speaks in high English or something. Because child development research says that's really toxic for children. To impose a way of living on children is really toxic. But to teach them a way of living that and respecting their inner life that's really necessary and critical so i really felt compelled to write this and i you know even even the notion of what does it mean to be a good parent well i'm not sure what it means to be a good parent because it's parenting is not about ourselves our kids don't need us to try and be good parents they need us to be responsive to them to be understanding to learn how to set appropriate limits to be strict about behaviors and really understanding about feeling because parenting is more about journeying with your child toward the kingdom than about getting them to behave a right way so i could talk on and on but this is this kind of compelled me to write the book and i just told the story of our family and there's really nothing magical it's i think it's fun i think it's overwhelming i fail more than anything in fact family life in many ways feels like a series of failures like you know it's like a random act of god to have a peaceful meal <laughs> And I say that's okay because the dinner table is like the practice field. We're supposed to be practicing patience, practicing waiting our turn, practicing sitting still. And that's hard. So I think to bring out the beauty and the joy of the struggles and connect it to this life-giving font of immortality of the Eucharist and the liturgy, it's just it was too beautiful not to write about. Wow. I feel like we can just end the podcast now because you just answered all of my questions. Not really. Actually, I have so many more questions for you. And we, so your book is Parenting Towards the Kingdom. For those that don't know, I share your book all the time. It's my number one book recommendation, especially for Christian parents. And um, this is something we were talking a little bit before we started recording. And I didn't tell you, um, Dr. Philip, that many of most of the listeners of this podcast are not orthodox many of them are christian i'm sure mostly christian listeners will be listening to this particular episode Um, but there is a lot of interest in orthodoxy because i share about my faith a lot and so i felt it was really important and would be helpful to bring you on to kind of share about parenting from an orthodox perspective and i was telling you before we started recording that i read your book I've read it multiple times. I read it over and over because it is the most helpful parenting book that I've ever read. I find it's the most balanced book because like you were saying, 
there's a lot of secular parenting books about, um, you know, the whole brain child and all of these like respectful, gentle, secular parenting books. And those are great books. And like you said, there's some really good information in there. There's really good pieces and tools in there, but they're missing the context of the faith and orthodoxy and Christianity and God. And some of those concepts in those books, I read them again, most of them are awesome, but some of them I read them and I think this really doesn't align with my faith. So then what do I do? And I find that your book is so balanced because it appreciates and respects child development, like you're talking about. At the same time, it balances everything with, well, how should we act as parents towards our children if we want them to know God and to love God? And um, I mean, there are some really kind of interesting concepts, I think, within the respectful, gentle parenting world. Like I've heard things like, you know, you shouldn't make your children apologize. And, and I've even heard you shouldn't apologize to your children. I've heard that one. And there are some that I think about them and I reflect on them and I realize, yeah, this just doesn't work for me. Like this just doesn't, doesn't sit right with me. Um, and especially in regards to my faith. Um, so I love your book. I recommend it to every single person. I love um, what you said too about child development, because I feel like then on the opposite side of those kind of secular parenting books, there's a lot of Christian parenting books that are maybe more punitive and um, they're all about how do you get obedience? And there are some really, um, I would say, strict, harsh parenting books out there that are written by Christians. And so I think there is this really hard place for a lot of Christian parents because they don't know what to do. Because on the one hand, they are being told by their Christian leaders, their Christian parents and family members that they need to demand obedience from their children and they need to spank them. And they, You're they the need authority. to do God yes. gave you the authority. They need to learn to respect authority. Some yes. even to the point of you need to break their will, such right. that learn to submit to God. Yes. And I've even heard um, that, you know, speaking of child development, that science and, and child development and what we know about psychology, well, that's not about faith and God. We we care more about what God thinks than child development. And I'm thinking, well, God created and designed children's brains in the way that he did. And he science just helps. Children. Yes. Science is describing God's handiwork. Yes. So right. I would love, you already talked about this a little bit, but I would love to hear your like broad picture thoughts about like re the re respectful, gentle, secular parenting community. And then this like harsh, punitive kind of Christian parenting community. So I, I thank you so much for that question. All right, here's my wish. My wish is that we had a podcast together because every week we could take one element that you mentioned, because you mentioned a lot of different things. Like, do you apologize? Mm -hmm. Do you make your kids apologize? Because each of them is partly true or partly consistent with the Christian tradition, but it's missing something. And to go through and to look at why, what might be true about what that, why were they saying you should not apologize? And there's some truth to that but why it's incomplete. And so for each one of these issues, what we find in the Eastern Christian tradition is a way of understanding the human person that helps us kind of transcend some of these dichotomies and like is obedience against listening to your children? Well, not in the Eastern Orthodox Church. What about authority? Well, we believe I am the king of my home. You and your husband are the king and queen. We really hold to that, and that authority is given by God. Yet in the Orthodox Church, that doesn't mean I have the authority to sin toward my kids. It doesn't mean I have the authority to disrespect how they think 
and how they learn. In fact, for us as Orthodox, to be a king and a queen is to offer your life for the kids. That's that dual anointing, right? Christ is the ultimate king, and what does he do? He offers his life, which means our understanding of authority means everything I do has to be respectful and in the best interest of our kids. And a lot of Christian parents will say, that's what I'm doing it. That's why I'm strict, because I want to teach them obedience. But what that misses, what the Christian, we call this the traditional Christian kind of hard love kind of parenting. There's no understanding of the inner life of a child. And when you fail to parent in a way that respects the inner life of a child, you actually are disrespectful to God's creation. And many times, I, I have three boys, and sometimes I will say, you parent them like you would parent a, couple, a bunch of dogs, a pack of dogs, because, you know, they do behave at some level like little animals. And within our tradition, we know before our reasoning develops and our spiritual maturity, we, we act like animals, right? However, what that misses is they are not animals. They behave like dogs, but they have the inner life that's like a crystal vase that's really tender. So what the book tries to do is bring together that secular parenting, which says, listen to your child, give your child choices, and then goes overboard and says, let your child choose everything. Well, well that fails because you can't let your child choose what's right and wrong. You can choose not to hit, or you can choose to lie, you know, or you can choose to just indulge your desires. Well, wait a minute. No, there's, there's something real and true that you need to teach your children. But what they're really good at is res respecting the developing of your child and the inner life of a child, their feelings, their thoughts. That's really respectful to ask a six-year-old, what do you think? Or when, you're, when your eight-year-old is having a temper tantrum or is really upset before you correct them, ask them what's going on. Tell me what you're upset about. That's really respectful. That gets lost in what be, might be called the religious right parenting. Um, but what gets lost in the secular parenting is that, oh no, we need to teach our children what's true and what's not true. So what my book tries to do is to talk about being strict about behaviors, but really lenient about feelings. The research actually shows that the most effective parenting is very emotionally responsive with high behavioral expectations. Oftentimes you'll get one parent who listens really well and negotiates and they're not very strict. And then the other parent, it's like black and white rules, I don't care what you think, these are the rules. Well, each parent is half right. What we want to do is bring those two worlds together, hmm. where we say something like church is mandatory. In this house, we do not swear. You need to take responsibility for taking that sweater without permission. We have strict behavioral expectations. And then we're high on emotional responsibility. So before I tell you church is mandatory, you know, I can ask you, is it hard to go to church? I can empathize with you. And so what the Orthodox Church and this Eastern Christian understanding does is it brings together that inner world of a developing child within a home of parents who are responsive to their inner life with behavioral expectations. Not to get them to behave a certain way, but to recognize that over time, a child will internalize these rules. 
The goal of the parenting is not to get a child to behave a certain way. The goal is to raise up a child who internalizes, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not take a sweater without asking. Thou shalt not desert before dinner. Thou shalt not sleep through church. We want them to internalize these God-given commandments because they are life-giving. And in order to do that, the child needs to experience these limits, observe the parents following these limits, and taste the joy that comes from living in a godly home. Because if it's a little bit like, I have a friend who has an organic farm and they grow organic vegetables. And when they served us a salad with organic homegrown tomatoes, it felt like it was the first time I'd had a real tomato. <laughs> that family does not need to force their children to eat healthy food. Mm -hmm. That family has given those kids a taste of what a tomato really is. That's not a rule. They taste and they see. So when they go out into the world, when they have a tomato, they'll recognize that's not really a tomato. I know what a tomato tastes like. That is what I would call orthodox parenting, or I would say it's just Christian parenting, that the goal is to give a child a taste of that joy, that love, that intimacy, that comes through trying to be obedient to God and failing and getting back up again. And when they get the taste of the joy, they go out into the world and they'll see things that are actually not good, true, or life-giving, and they'll be able to tell that behavior is actually destructive. That way of thinking isn't true. But that, not only that, but to love the world and to understand God's love for the world. So when you think about parenting as giving a child a taste, this is the orthodox way, taste and see. And so rather than trying to get our trying to grow our kids to be a certain way or trying to act a certain way we want to live a certain way so you said it nicely how should i act toward my child such that they grow up to love god and the answer is very specific let them taste god's love from you and when they taste god's love from us it's like a an organic tomato they will be naturally drawn. And so that love has to be respectful. You can't constantly be telling a kid what to do. That doesn't respect the fact that God gave them a developing brain. You can't expect a child to listen, to be obedient, to be kind. Why? Because in the Orthodox Church, we understand, you know, this is an ongoing process of acquiring the virtues. Mm -hmm. And what is it like if parents who also struggle with obedience, who also struggle with patience, who have struggles in their marriage, who can say really hurtful things to each other in their marriage, yet demand that our kids are obedient, are patient, are kind. You know, that that's not love. That's actually a type of hypocrisy. So what we have in the Orthodox Church, though, that isn't everywhere, and I think we need to recognize that, this is why we can't judge other faith traditions or other parenting, the Church is constantly calling us to repentance. Because we recognize in the Christian East that we are called to be perfected. We're not called to act like perfect Christians. We're called to acquire the Holy Spirit who will perfect us. And it's our job to try and to fail and to repent. And so really what our kids need is not perfect parents, but repentant parents. 
So I was talking with a, a mom recently, and I was saying, really, what your kids need is not a perfect mom. They just need you. You to be responsive to them, to be present with them. And if you have a bad day and you didn't behave well to them, that's okay. Just recognize that and say, you know what? I had a bad day. Forgive me for yelling. Next time when you guys do that, I'm going to separate you. They're like, okay, because that's you and they love you. And what you're teaching them is this path of growing in patience, growing in love, and repenting when you, when you fall. So in the Orthodox Church, it's not if you fail, you repent. It's when you fail, which is why I really like to tell stories of the chaos of my home. You know, I'm a trained professional, and you know, you know how my four-year-old behaved? Even though I wrote a book on parenting and I travel around and give parenting, my four-year-old acts like a four-year-old. They don't even care that I wrote a parenting book. <laughs> they don't even care that I teach. And it's a joke because how should they act? Shouldn't they act like a four-year-old? The temptation is to make it about us, that suddenly my pride is on the line. And this is the worst in church. You know, your four-year-old misbehaves in church and you feel judged. You feel like, oh my gosh, what a terrible parent I am. So I really liked it when my kids misbehave in church. Because I know as parents, when there's a scream in a church, the first thing you do is, is it my kid? And if it's not your child, you breathe a sigh of relief. So I know if it's my kid who misbehaves, I just gave every other parent a nice, peaceful feeling. Yeah. And the second reason I like it is because I am not going to be judged by the behavior and decisions of a four-year-old who probably is super hungry, probably is tired, and probably is bored. I'm going to be judged by how I respond to a four-year-old who's bored, tired, exhausted, overwhelmed. And so that four-year-old, we might say, is behaving appropriately for a four-year-old. Now, how can I use these struggles to help the four-year-old learn over time? You can't scream in church. You can't just demand what you want and expect to get it. That's not love. That's self-centeredness. So in those struggles of me repenting and learning and my wife and in our home, confessing and growing, a child will naturally grow into an adult woman or an adult man when that happens for us as Orthodox within the life of the church. So we're bringing our family to the church. We're bringing the church into our home. We're bringing the gospel, the inner life, which for the Orthodox is about struggle. It's about acquiring the Holy Spirit. We bring that in. And then when we fail, we go back to church and we all line up for confession. And then we ask forgiveness and then we worship God on Sunday, repeat, and then we do it again for another week because we recognize that the liturgy itself sustains us. You know, the liturgy, it like washes us, you know, and we're, we're washed and we're kind of renewed coming out of church. And so in my family, you know, Saturdays are a struggle, the weekdays are a struggle, but we, when we would make the effort to get to church on Sunday, no matter how we got there, and do our best to pay attention or to let the kids be a little more free to learn, we would feel strangely peaceful after church, strangely renewed to go on and grow in uh, for another week. And so that was my wish, that churches become places where we are repenting, not places where we're trying to pretend that we have our act together. So that's the answer to kind of the differences, sorry. The no, one thing I do great. want to say is authority because the Christian right is really clear on authority. 
and they're half right. And the, the left, the secular world, is really clear about responsiveness to children, but they've just lost their way with authority. And so what I try and say in the Orthodox understanding, I, I don't want to repeat myself too much, is that we have an authority to serve our kids, we have an authority to respect them, we have authority to be responsive to them, to do what's in their best interest, not to make it about ourselves, that they need to learn over time to respond to our authority. But we know when you feel loved by someone, it's easy to obey them. We've had this in our life. You know, a teacher that you, that you feel respected and cared for, oh my gosh, you'll do whatever that teacher asks. Mm -hmm. So we recognize the goal of parenting is to love our kids, to respect them, to sacrifice for them. They are naturally inclined to want to do what we say. Now that doesn't mean when I say it's time to clean your room, they all pop up off the couch and say, oh yes, dad, we're happy to clean our rooms. No, it means they're gonna say, I don't want to. It's, and, and we need to respect that. We need to respect that they have to learn to do the hard thing, do the thing you don't wanna do, work before play, take responsibility for mistakes. So if we use our authority to teach you have time you may not go out to play until you have cleaned your room this is the rule in the house and it's really not negotiable and also name their struggle i understand how hard that is it's a real struggle because really what we want our kids to learn more than cleaning their room they'll eventually learn to do that it's to learn to struggle toward what's good and right and true to resist temptation to resist those temptations of pleasing ourselves so that's the authority we have the authority to walk with our kids, to lay out the path and to be repenting with them. Yeah, that was so good. You, okay, so you um, talked about emotions here, naming the emotions. And one question that I did have for you, which you might have, you kind of answered a little bit, um, but it's this, this idea of emotions, validating, empathizing. Um, I've heard some people from who you would call the Christian right saying that we shouldn't do those things because then it's, kind of making or encouraging your child to be led by their emotions. And I think that you just bring a lot of balance to this because I just disagree with that. I think that we could certainly move into permissiveness and allow our children to be totally led by their emotions, but to just allow our child to feel their emotions helps them to understand the emotion, name the emotion. And it's that has to come first. That's the foundation to being able to have emotion, have emotional regulation and not let your emotions dictate all of your actions. Um, so I don't know if you have any more thoughts to share about that, but I think you have a good, you brought a good balance there. Well, again, if you, if we look each side of this debate is half right, because I would agree with the religious parent and it said, you can't have people just be guided by their emotions. That's totally true. And when you look at the secular world, without God's commandments, without the church, the body of Christ revealing to us the path, you know, what authority, who has any authority when you're left with, if you guys are consenting and if it feels right, you should do it. So the world is kind of lost without God's revelation and authority. And so they default to, this is what I feel. I feel this and so I'm gonna act on it. So we would agree with the religious right that you can't act on your feelings. But like you said, the answer is not to disrespect or ignore your feelings, because this is part of our inner life. This is part of our created nature, to understand that God gave us this inner life, this anger, sadness, joy, um, despair. This is part of our inner world. And like you said, 
The way to follow God is not to ignore our feelings, but to transform them and choose what's right in the face of our feelings. So I, I, I read once that when God gave Adam authority over creation, he expressed that authority by naming the animals. He was given the authority to name the animals. We gain authority over our feelings by naming them. So they're not invisible, they're ambiguous, and they control us. So I like to say that feelings are like children in the backseat of a car on a road trip. If you ignore them, you have a crisis on your hands, but they should not be allowed to drive the car. So the goal of parenting is to learn to listen to our children's feelings, help them express this while we keep behavioral expectations in place. And so the example is, it's time to go to bed. That's not a choice, that's a rule. And there's good reasons for that rule. But I don't need to ignore the fact that they don't really want to, that it's actually hard to go to bed. It's sad to leave all the fun downstairs. It's lonely up in bed in the dark. We can name those feelings as we're keeping those limits firm. It's not either the limits or naming the feelings. It's both. And so this is what this book, it brings these two worlds together. And it's an act of respect to listen to your kids' feelings about if they're bored, they're sad, they're hurt, they're lonely. And it's an act of respect to keep the limits firm. Because one parent will say, oh, it's hard to go to bed, you don't want to, all right, let's stay up later. That's not respectful. And the other parent will tend to be, I don't care what you feel, it's time to go to bed. Well, what I like to invite parents to do is to say, I care how you feel, and it's time to go to bed. So that I can attend to your inner life while we're keeping these limits. Because that is the most respectful, because you need to learn to do things you don't want to do. But it's also nice to, to have someone understand. And I, I didn't see a book that brought those two worlds together. But the secular research actually supports this. And this is a very powerful expression of God's love for us. He, he, he's so compassionate with us. He's so forgiving, right? He, he doesn't say it's okay to sin. No, it's never okay to sin. But you are okay. And I will invite you back to repent. And so we see that this actually is a very Christian understanding consistent with the secular research. It just was never brought together like that. Right. What are your thoughts on big tantrums from, especially from young kids? Cause I'm thinking of this example you're giving of, okay, it's time to go to bed. So if I said that to my three-year-old at the time, she, I have very highly sensitive, reactive children who are often their nervous systems get easily dysregulated. And so if I had said that to my three-year-old and maybe I didn't give her the proper time warnings and, um, you know, the transition cues that make it a little bit easier, she might have had a huge meltdown on the floor screaming. Her brain is completely dysregulated. She's unable to really process and understand any sort of logic that I would be speaking. Right. Do you think there is room to then allow her the time to get through her, her emotional release, or I'm just, I'm wondering your thoughts about that, especially for younger children who maybe need some extra time to release those emotions. Is that more of letting them, letting the emotions dictate their behavior or just, is it more developmentally appropriate because they can't control their emotions yet? Right. This is the mystery of parenting. We set limits for our children when they can't set them for themselves. But as they grow, we want to set limits with our children. And we think about ultimately our goal is for that child to learn to calm herself down. 
That's our goal. That's where we're working towards. So it's always somewhere in between. And sometimes when, when I had a child like this, I realized she just needed to be held and kind of to be mm -hmm. contained. You know, you, there's no reasoning or talking to a child who's having a meltdown. Um, but, you know, sometimes they can't stop themselves. So just to contain them and to scoop them up. And we end up trying a variety of different things to recognize that, like you said, we give them warnings to help them through. We recognize that sometimes you're going to have a meltdown and, you know, you try, you know, ways to contain it. But ultimately, what I find myself is always saying the same things. So even though they don't understand what I'm saying, are you upset? It feels overwhelming. You seem overwhelmed. Are you mad? You seem angry, whatever. Because when they're old enough to understand, they will have a memory of that empathy, that respect. I'm not getting mad at them for melting down, but also I am setting some limits to meltdowns. I will contain you. You can melt down in this space. You know, it's, it's really hard because usually when, if they're melting down at bedtime, the only thing I've found is you scoop them up and you put them in bed because really they just need a good night's sleep and in the morning they'll feel better. Mm -hmm. So it's this responsiveness that is both challenging because, you know, it's hard. It, it, why does it take two hours to put kids to bed? No matter what you do, it takes two hours. I've never figured out why, but it's just a lot. And it's overwhelming when they melt down, especially in church. But this is the process of journeying. And we're repeating the same thing. We're containing them. We're doing all these different things as they grow because she will grow up and stop doing that. Right. Well, then it's also this this idea of children require co-regulation. They can't self-regulate on their own, especially young children. And so they learn the ability to self-regulate on their own by us remaining calm, as calm as we can um, in those moments, being there for them and not I, I, giving yeah. them the words, actually containing them, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Rather than I, I know a lot of people think that children should be punished for simply for the act of having big emotions and having a tantrum. And I think we have to recognize what what it, when it's respectful for children to recognize what is developmentally within their control and what is not. We can't punish them. It's not kind to punish them for things that they cannot control. You can't punish a, a toddler for being a toddler. That's one of the rules we had. You can't punish a kid for being a four year old boy. And sometimes a four-year-old boy, their brain just for some reason stops working and they think it's a really good idea to do something. They shouldn't be punished for being four. They need to be taught. And what that is, that's a process. That's an ongoing process. So exactly. Uh, one image that I read about in a, in a secular book was to describing especially highly sensitive kids as if they, they've been given a really fast race car and they don't know how to drive it. So they're mm -hmm. speeding super fast and they can't really control the car. So they're banging up and, you know, they shouldn't be punished for that. They should have nice walls so they can't bang too far and they should be allowed to learn how to drive. And so we need to recognize they need time and they need modeling and they need brainstorming and they need strategizing. And what we do is afterward, we talk about what happened. What are we going to do next time? Next time, can you feel it coming on? When you feel it coming on, what do we do? Yeah. And you're creating that the scaffolding or the co-regulating and notice that is respectful. That is respectful parenting. And when you respect a child, a child feels respected and a child learns to respect back. And that is what parenting is. Parenting is that you have formed a child to taste real love. It's not really about teaching them the meltdowns. It's not really about getting them to clean their room. It's about in those pot times and in these events and in these processes, 
They are forming an idea about themselves, about you, about love, and about God. So whether a child ever learns to control their temper tantrum, they can either go out into the adult world with a sense that they are unloved, that they are damaged, and that the world hates them, or they can grow with a sense of, I am deeply valued by God, and I want to return that love to God, and that's what life is about, and I need to learn to control my temper. What we give them is that inner life through the struggles. Mm, that's so beautiful. Okay, I would I could talk to you all day long. Um, I would like to go into maybe some more some practical specific examples of parent you know parents who are listening right now. What are some things that they could start doing? And I asked for some questions um, that people had in the community if I if we had time to get to them. So, um, what would you recommend doing? For, and most of these were pertaining younger children because most of this community, they have younger children. Um, example, maybe a three or four-year-old is constantly hitting their younger sibling and you tell them to stop, you show them you know, how to be kind and respectful and they, it's just a, a constant problem. What would you recommend doing? Because we know we can't always expect obedience, but we still have to also keep our other child safe. So we, do, we wanna keep the other child safe. So supervision is going to be a key part of this because if you know your child struggles with hitting or in my case, one of my daughters just liked to bite. She had a, mm -hmm. a, a tremendous appetite for the bellies of other toddlers. <laughs> so supervision is important, but I would say step one, why is the child hitting? There's a human being there who's hitting because you might say that, you know, you tell them not to hit as if that three-year-old doesn't really know that. As if a three-year-old made a decision, you know, I feel like hitting my sister. I wonder if that's okay. Well, it probably is okay. I'm going to choose to hit. That's not the brain. That's not the process of a three-year-old. Why are they hitting? And if we can stop trying to get them to stop hitting just for a moment and reflect on why would a brother hit a younger sister? And there's lots of good reasons. You know, maybe they feel like they feel threatened by the little sister. The little sister is the, is the favorite one. The little sister never gets in trouble. I'm always getting in trouble. Mom's always mad at me, but mom always smiles at you, which is a normal thing. If you have a boy that's constantly breaking windows and a girl who's sitting there reading books, you know, the child is likely to feel like I'm the bad kid, which means I don't like you and I want to hurt you. Well, that's pretty powerful. Or the other side, maybe I want to play with you but you're never playing with me and I don't know how to say that. And so I'm kind of frustrated, so I'll hit you. Mm -hmm. It's important to reflect on the inner life of the three-year-old. Now, a three-year-old is not gonna say, you know, thank you for asking mom. What I'm really feeling is a sense of disenfranchisement and, <laughs> you know, aloneness. They're not gonna say that, but they will feel that. Mm -hmm. And if we're sensitive enough just to say, we, we can stop the hand and we can name their struggle. Try, do you want to play with your sister? Are you sad? You know, and we can check in with them. Because right away, if they're feeling disconnected, like they're the bad kid, not loved, that's a real intimate thing. To, just to check in before you correct them and to say, what's going on? You know, do you want to play with your sister? Are you sad? And, you know, I'm always surprised. You know, they might not say something right away, but it's going to happen a lot. It's going to happen a lot. And now your child will start, every time they hit, 
your voice is going to enter and they're going to say, why am I doing this? And that's what we want. So number one, check in. Um, number two, repeat the behavior you want to see, gentle touch. Number three, separate. When you're ready to be gentle with your sister, you can play with your sister again. And number four, supervise. But of everything I just said, the most important thing is that first piece. Why is that child? Because then you can start thinking about your three-year-old as a human being and looking at how many parents don't really parent equally. And they'll inadvertently say, inadvertently say things like, why can't you be nice like your sister? Or the kids will figure out he gets punished all the time and she never gets punished. Or the mom smiles more and kids can feel that disconnection. So work towards connecting more with your troubled three-year-old. Pull him away and say, I want to read with you. I want to do something with you. And watch your child's face transform. And then teach them. If you want to play, use your words. If you're frustrated, come and talk to me. And then supervise. Mm -hmm. So good. I think that connection piece is so important and it, it does require a lot more effort and work because it's easier to just yell and scold and give, you know, give commands, but it's, but it doesn't work. It's worth it. Yeah. It doesn't work. And this is where that religious parenting misses because that three-year-old in many ways behaves like a little puppy dog and should be taught like a puppy dog, but a puppy dog doesn't feel that, that inner, you know, disconnect. You don't, you know, the, the human being needs to be attended to in an inner way. And, and oftentimes in families, especially with multiple kids, everyone's going to feel disconnected at some time. But what that child needs is a mom or a dad who cares enough to look beyond the, the bad behavior toward the person. And when we think of looking beyond the bad behavior towards the person, do we have any of that in our Christian tradition? Is that not the way Christ operates? Mm -hmm. Christ looks beyond, like he couldn't have scolded the, the Samaritan woman or the woman caught in adultery, Zacchaeus, the tax collector. These guys were thieves and crooks and horrible people. And we have a God. It's not like he couldn't see it. He even told the Samaritan woman, oh no, it's not that I don't know your sinful past. I know it deeply. It's just not the most important thing right now. I want to draw close to you. That is the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of Christian love. And that needs to become our heart as parents. And that's what parenting is, acquiring the heart of Christ in these interactions, to overlook the bad behavior in the moment and draw close. And then over time, gentle touch. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you can see that how is a child going to learn Christ-like love? When they do something stupid, mean or hurtful, and they don't get yelled at, but they have someone check in and say, what's troubling you? Because that behavior is not okay. But that behavior is a red flag that something's troubling you. And I'm more concerned about who you are than getting you to behave. And once we do that, then we teach them. You may not hit. And if you choose to hit your sister, you may not play with her. But that's second, because there's a human being learning and growing. I just think that's so beautiful and so powerful. And it, that's the greatest impact each one of us will have in the world is by forming our children in that love, which means acquiring that love ourselves. Because I don't have that. Do you have that? I don't have that. No. I'm like you. I, say, I just want to scream and say, quit doing that. It's the eighth time you've done it. Yeah. And that reveals my heart. 
Right. Well, and I, I always think, you know, I am very reactive. I grew up in a very reactive home. So that is my struggle. And I'm always wondering why is my five-year-old always yelling? Why does she have this tone? Well, how am I talking to them? Like, and I often, yeah. And I realize I often have much higher expectations for my children than I do myself. Um, and so that's a little, that's interesting when you can frame it like that and, and see how the behaviors we model to our children too, are what they're often picking up on and doing. And then they trigger us the most, right? We should laugh about it and we should weep, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're not here to judge. We're here to repent. And this is the Orthodox way. The church doesn't shame us, but the church indicts us. Mm -hmm. It is not okay. It's not, it's okay for a four-year-old to act like a four-year-old, but not me. So that's the other rule in our house. Only one four-year-old at a time, because it's a way to gently remind us as parents that how, how can we teach a child not to react when we're reacting? And But with empathy, because it is overwhelming to have a meltdown right at bedtime. Yeah. But we need to respect that, and we need to weep and confess and ask God to help us. We shouldn't turn that on our kids. And when mm-hmm. we do, we should repent. Mm-hmm. So I will say this. It's really appropriate to apologize to your children. Yes. But, it, but there's something that's true about why are you apologizing all the time? Because that's really about us. And for the Orthodox, it's not enough to confess. It's we have to repent. So for the Orthodox, it's not enough to say, forgive me for hitting you or for yelling at you. We need to tell them what we're going to do next time. Because mm-hmm. our kids aren't really concerned about us. And we don't need to. So I usually take time out. I give myself a time out, which is appropriate. And reflect on what am I going to do next time that happens. And then I go to my child and say, forgive me for that. Next time this happens, here's what I'm going to do. And that's it. And for our children, you can't force a child to feel a certain way, but you can force behaviors. So I can make church mandatory. I can make bedtime mandatory, but I can't force them to be happy about it. I can't force them to like it. That's really disrespectful. So I can't force my children to feel sorry for what they do. I can force them to take responsibility. And so I say, go ask your brother forgiveness for taking his this, or you need to go and tell your sister, forgive me for hitting you. Every single time that child hits, you check in with them, you connect with them, and then they go make amends. They go take responsibility. You go say, forgive me for hitting. That ritual, those words are powerful. And over time, in the context of that loving, growing, repenting, parenting home, a child learns that actually, Forgiveness and repentance, like, allow us to grow. Yeah, I love that. I also love the shift from forcing or making a child say, I'm sorry, which they might not be feeling that to please forgive me. Right. That's, I love that. Okay, this is a hot, hot topic, hot question kind of thing. But do you, um, do you feel that children ever need to need punitive punishment? So things like timeouts, spanking is a big one. Um, Things like that. Do you feel like that's ever truly necessary children need punishments they need consequences for the behavior definitely now do they need to be spanked is a different story in fact that biblical that um old testament line you know spare the rod spoil the child Mm -hmm. that's a favorite on the religious right and it is a biblical truth right well in the in the orthodox church what we do with scriptures is we recognize that the scriptures are culturally conditioned but they do reveal eternal truths. And so it's the, it's the Holy Spirit that leads us to understand what are the eternal truths that are timeless and what are the cultural conditions that I think aren't timeless. 
And so back in those days, corporal punishment was considered normal and appropriate. Um, but again, now, and, and there's evidence that says if everyone in your neighborhood is getting smacked, it is actually less damaging for kids because they there's somehow they have a way of understanding it as not personal. Hmm. But because corporal punishment is so damaging, it's so easy to be misused. It's not really effective. It usually comes out of parents' anger. It's it's there is a place for it, but it's a pretty narrow place. But what we see though is if you don't set limits to your children, you will ruin them. Like I said, I know you don't want to go to church, but it's mandatory. You know, you, no, you may not go out to play until your room is clean. You know, you may not play with your sister because you hit them. You, you need one day before you go. If you can't get off your technology, I'm going to take it away. Because you and I, everyone has met people who are adults who actually are beautiful people and they were never spanked. So does that mean that biblical mandate isn't true? Spare the rod, spoil it. They were never hit. But you will never meet anyone who is a thriving, healthy adult who didn't have limits on them as children. So we understand that biblical message to be spare the limits and you will spoil the child. And the mm -hmm. question is now, how do we set those limits? And sometimes there needs to be a punishment for crossing the limits, but punishments don't need to be corporal. There are punishments, loss of privilege, um, separation, um, and it those... seems like some of the ones that you mentioned are almost more of natural consequences. Like they are directly related to the behavior. Like if you're hitting us, if you're hitting someone, obviously you don't get to be around them anymore. So there's some great secular research on setting limits. And one of them is that it's related. The four R's related, reasonable, respectful, and revealed ahead of time. Because if we want to teach our child how to control himself or herself, then we should tell them when you do X, this is gonna happen. When you do Y, this is gonna happen. And then they have a sense of responsibility and autonomy. And then when they do X or Y, we give them what essentially they asked for. So that that's the respectful part. Natural consequences are also a different type of thing, which I think are beautiful things. Because we wanna teach our children to use their good judgment, their God-given judgment. So if they wanna run outside in the cold, do we really need to tell them it's too cold outside to go without a jacket? Why? Aren't they smart enough to go outside, freeze, and say, I think I need a jacket. And we come in and you say, that's a great thought. I think you're right. And then we, they should take response. And then next time they go out, they say, you know what? I'm going to grab a jacket because last time it was too cold. There's some great ways for natural consequences. Mm -hmm. Now, not letting a child brush their teeth. That's not a great one because that natural consequence will be five years down the road, their teeth will be rotted. That's, that's a bad one for a natural consequence. So in our home, brushing the teeth was mandatory. It's just a rule. You don't have a choice. I can help you. I can make it easy. I can listen to your feelings. Nope, everyone brushes their teeth. These are the types of ways we have to set limits uh, respectfully. So yes, they need limits. I'm not convinced they need corporal punishment. Yeah. Well... Philip, this has been amazing. I wish I could talk to you for like hours more because I you just bring so much knowledge and wisdom. Um, but we are nearing low on time. So can you leave our listeners with, well, we know you have your book, Parenting Towards the Kingdom. Can you tell us where else we can find you, where we can find that book, um, or if you have any other resources for parents? So I, um, my job at Holy Cross is pastoral care. So right now I'm actually working on a project that is about understanding mental health and mental illness from a Christian perspective. 
So I do that and I'm working on a marriage book and I'm finishing up some other things on mental health. So parenting, I chose to do parenting just because nobody had done it. And I enjoy, this is so beautiful to, to help parents rethink everything and I feel the pain of what book do you follow? So in terms of additional resources, you know, I, I, don't, I, I give parenting consultations, but I, I have a full-time job. So this is, I just do this as a gift to the church. Um, and I, I, we're coming out with a companion guide to the parenting book. Um, because the goal is that you bring, you bring your parenting struggles to one night a month with other parents so that collectively you can let down our guards and say, yes, it's difficult. And so I, I travel. If you want a parenting talk, I'd love to come and give parenting talks. I haven't been to Salt Lake City yet, but that's one of my goals. Yeah, um, that'd be awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I know this will be so helpful to all of the listeners. It was great to talk. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.